from 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. A good soldier for Christ Jesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned until he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crop. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Rub-a-dub-dub, three men in the tub, the, oh, come on, let's try this again, rub-a-dub-dub, three men in the tub, the, you're saying that's not the usual liturgy, is it? Well, in today's passage, friends, we might say, rub-a-dub-dees, Paul illustrates with these, a teacher, a soldier, an athlete, a grower. Okay, so my future is not in writing children's books. A teacher, a soldier, an athlete, a grower. Paul, in today's passage, offers us four occupations as illustrations. These occupations are given to us as illustrations to flesh out your and my primary calling. Church, our primary calling, our commission, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. This was Christ's final command before he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Church, that's our calling. Our calling is to make disciples of all nations. This is why we say, in part of our church covenant, desiring to be part of a disciple-making movement here in the mid-coast of Maine, that touches and transforms lives and families and communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we commit ourselves to the making of disciples. We've committed ourselves to the making of disciples because Jesus has commanded of us the making of disciples. So the main thrust of today's passage is nothing new. It's nothing that should shock us or surprise us. In fact, many times before we've discussed this, 2 Timothy 2.2, this verse gives us how we are to accomplish the command that Christ has given us. If Christ has told us to make disciples, 2 Timothy 2.2 tells us how to do it. Look at that. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. If Jesus told us to make disciples, Paul tells us, this is how you make disciples. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul's basic message here is, Timothy, I didn't preach the gospel to you so that it would end with you. I didn't entrust the gospel to you so that it would benefit you alone. The gospel has come to you on its way to someone else. 
the gospel has come to every one of you on its way to someone else. You are to be a conduit of the gospel, not a cul-de-sac. A cul-de-sac is a dead end. It's a destination. A conduit is a pass-through. Paul says, I entrusted you, Timothy, with the gospel baton that I received so that you can pass that baton to others who will then pass that baton to others who will then pass that baton to others. Because as we have said before, if the Christian life is a race, it's a relay race. And relay races do not always go to the swiftest of runners. In the past, when we've talked about it, we remembered together the story of the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens, Greece. The the American women's 4x100 relay race team was favored to win. They had the fastest time in the qualifying, and they were the fastest team on the track. But in the end, they lost. They did not bring home the gold. And it wasn't because they weren't fast. The problem was they couldn't complete the handoff. They fumbled the handoff and they were disqualified. All because they failed to pass the baton. And church, ultimately, it doesn't matter how well you or I run the race if we fail to pass the baton. If we don't make disciples, ultimately, the race is lost. Bible commentator William Barclay said, every Christian must look on him or herself as a link between two generations. You and I need to look at ourselves as a link between two generations. We are a link. We've been passed the baton so that it might be passed to the next generation. Or in the words of Warren Webster, success without a successor is failure. Success without a successor is failure. So pass the baton, Paul says. Make disciples of Jesus Christ. And to illustrate to Timothy and to us how this is accomplished, what this takes, Paul offers us four occupations as illustrations. So that we can better understand our commission to make disciples and how that's accomplished. Teacher and soldier, athlete and grower. How does an effective disciple maker operate? He or she operates as a teacher, as a soldier, as an athlete, and as a grower. So let's consider. Let's consider together what we can learn from these four illustrations that Paul gives us. And how it is that we can accomplish this commission that Christ has given us. The great commission to make disciples of all nations. First, he says, a teacher. Paul says, be a teacher. You know, last week we heard Paul and he was inviting Timothy to join him in suffering for the gospel, which he had been entrusted to him. Second Timothy 1.12, Paul said, I am not ashamed For I know whom I've believed. I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul says, the gospel, it was entrusted to me. And I'm not ashamed of that gospel, Timothy, even though that is the gospel for which I now suffer and for which I am now in chains and for which I am soon going to die. The gospel is not going to die with me, Timothy, because I've entrusted it to you. 
What I received, the baton, I've handed it to you. And so Paul writes in verse 14 of that same chapter, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul says the gospel was entrusted to me of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. I'm suffering and I'm going to die. But the gospel will not die with me because I've entrusted it to you. To you, Timothy, so guard it. And Timothy, whatever you do, don't then let the gospel die with you. Don't let the gospel die with you. As I've passed the baton to you, Timothy, you now faithfully pass the baton to others. So Paul says in verse 14, guard the good deposit entrusted to you and then pass the baton. 2 Timothy 2.2, entrusted to faithful men. He says in verse 14, that's the next slide, Samuel. The good deposit is entrusted to you. Now you entrust it to faithful men. Pass the baton. And friends, what's the gospel? He says in verse 13, verse 13, the pattern of the sound words you've heard from me. And then verse 2, 2, what you've heard from me. Paul says, Timothy, the pattern of sound words that you heard from me, that I entrusted to you, you accurately teach that and entrust it to others who will then be able to accurately teach that and entrust it to others. Pass the baton. The disciple maker is a teacher. And the disciple maker dare not change or compromise what he or she has received. You've received the gospel. And friends, we dare not change it. We dare not water it down. We dare not compromise it. But instead, we want to accurately and faithfully pass to others what we ourselves received. Church, today the gospel is threatened. It's not threatened from out there. The gospel is threatened most of all by our own ignorance and our apathy. Parents, you cannot teach your children what you yourself don't know. Church, you cannot instruct the next generation in what you yourself have not learned. Disciples, you cannot give to others what you yourself have not received. Are we committed to learn and to know and to hold faithfully and truthfully the gospel so that we can hand it faithfully and truthfully to the next generation without compromise, without watering it down? Over 10 years ago, there was one Christian commentator who wrote a, bl a blog post that got the Christian world talking. It was titled, The Coming Evangelical Collapse. And he said, evangelical Christians have failed to pass on to our young people the faith in an orthodox form that can take root and survive the secular onslaught. Our young people have deep beliefs about the culture war, but they don't know why they should obey Scripture the essentials of theology, or the experience of spiritual discipline and community. Friends, does the next generation know? Have we been faithful to teach them Scripture, theology, spiritual practice and discipline? Because we need to pass the baton to this next generation. And I know some of you here would say, but Adam, how am I supposed to teach the next generation when I myself was not taught? Because somebody fumbled and didn't pass the baton to me very well. 
So how can I now pass it off to the next generation? And I hear that. But church, we have an opportunity. You have an opportunity right now to pick up the baton. Never before in any time or place in human history has the Scripture been so easily and readily available to us in so many ways and so many mediums. Never before have there been so many opportunities for you and I to learn and to grow in the truth of the Gospel and what it says and what it means. Never before has there been so much information available to us at our fingertips Church, the problem is not the availability of the gospel. The problem is our apathy to the gospel. The problem is not the gospel's availability. The problem is our apathy. Will we commit ourselves to take a hold of every opportunity available to us to learn and to know the gospel so that we might pick up the baton And faithfully pass that baton, uncompromised, undiminished, to the next generation. Church, are you growing in your knowledge of what you believe so you can faithfully pass that to your children, to your grandchildren, to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your cashier, to your hairdresser? Are you committed to learn and to know so that you might faithfully teach and pass the baton? If you need somewhere to start, the place where we start is also where we end up. And friends, daily in the Scriptures. Go daily in the Scriptures. It sounds so simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. It takes commitment. And so friends, will you commit yourself to the Word of God that you might faithfully know that Word, faithfully passing the baton to the next generation. So the disciple maker is a teacher, but secondly, Paul says he's a soldier. Look at 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. Share in suffering is a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So share in suffering. Share in suffering. You know, according to one author, the most important question of your life is not what you want out of your life, but what pain do you want in your life? What are you willing to suffer for? It's not what you want out of your life. It's what pain are you willing to have in your life? What will you suffer for? Because we all want to be more successful in our jobs, but are you willing to commit to the suffering, the hustle, the hard work, the extra hours, the unfair bosses, the annoying coworkers, the obnoxious customers? We all want to have amazing relationships and marriages, but are you willing to commit to the suffering of tough conversations, of awkward silences, of hurt feelings, of admitting you were wrong, of forgiving when you were wrong, of humility and of sacrifice? You know, we all want to have an amazing physique, but are you willing to commit to the suffering of early mornings, endless miles, countless repetitions, new eating habits, and no excuses? The author's conclusion of this article is, you are defined by what you're willing to struggle for. You are defined by the suffering that you invite into your life. Friends, what are you willing to suffer for? Share in suffering is a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share in suffering is a good soldier of Christ Jesus.
Friends, you are going to spend your life struggling for something. You are going to work your whole life struggling and suffering for something to please someone. So don't get distracted by things that don't matter. Paul writes, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Friends, the greatest danger to the church today is not sin, but distraction. We are distracted by so many civilian pursuits. We're distracted from the mission to make disciples who make disciples. I've quoted before Pastor Francis Chan. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that really don't matter. You and I might be immensely successful, but what if we're successful at all the wrong things? What if we suffered and we struggled in our lives, but for all the wrong things? Our greatest fear should not be that we lived and struggled and suffered, but that we did so for the wrong things, that we succeeded at civilian pursuits, things that ultimately won't matter, things that please the wrong commander. Church, the word of our commander is clear. He said, make disciples of all nations. And the question for us is, are we willing to suffer and to struggle and to obey that command? So a teacher, a soldier, and then thirdly, an athlete. 2 Timothy 2.5 An athlete's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Church, there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. An athlete who doesn't compete according to the rules. An athlete who takes shortcuts, performance-enhancing drugs, altered equipment, unlevel playing fields, is disqualified. He or she does not get the crown. The medal, the reward. There are no shortcuts. The bottom line is if you wish to get the crown, the medal, stand on the podium, you need to compete according to the rules, and that takes discipline. You know, nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, hey, I'm going to run a marathon this afternoon. You know, nobody reaches age 65 and then just decides, hey, I'm going to quit my job and retire today. In order to accomplish those goals, you have to live differently. You can't cram for a marathon. You can't cram for retirement savings. There are no shortcuts. You have to live differently now. Financial guru Dave Ramsey famously says, if you will live like no one else, later you can live like no one else. If you live now differently, It'll be different then. Live a different lifestyle now to get a different outcome later. And Paul says, Timothy, an athlete, commits to a different lifestyle. And so does a disciple maker. Because disciple making is not about a program. It's not something you cram in at the last minute or in your spare time. It's a commitment to a lifestyle of disciple making. There are no shortcuts. Church, did you ever think about the fact that you're not just a business person who makes disciples? You are a disciple maker searching out opportunities to use your business knowledge, your connections, your business itself so you can make disciples. You're not just an artist who makes disciples. You are a disciple maker seeking to use your unique talents and art to speak the truth, to create beauty, and in doing so somehow to make disciples and share the joy of Jesus. 
You are not a stay-at-home mom who makes disciples. You're a disciple-maker to whom God has given the unique opportunity to make disciples, not just of your children, but of their friends, and of those friends' mothers and beyond. You're not just a student in school who makes disciples. You're a disciple-maker looking for opportunities to use your education and your learning and your relationships to make disciples and to share with others the joy of Jesus Christ. Friends, your job is not your vocation. Your job is not your vocation. It's your venue. Church, your vocation is to make disciples, and your job is the venue in which you do that. You are not first a business person, then a Christian. You are first a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple maker, who is a business person, who is a stay-at-home mom, who is a student, who is an artist. Your vocation is making disciples. Your job is the venue in which God has placed you to make them. Your job is the unique opportunity that God has given you to accomplish your purpose, which is to make disciples. And just like a soldier doesn't get distracted in civilian affairs, just like an athlete knows there are no shortcuts and lives as an athlete, so the disciple maker says, I'm going to live differently so that ultimately I might pass that baton. And church, how will you and how will I so live? Teacher, soldier, athlete, and finally a grower. 2 Timothy 2.6 It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, I chose grower because I thought it rhymed a little better with soldier. But we're talking about farmers. And friends, the work of a farmer is often mundane, it's monotonous, and it's unseen. And so is the work of discipleship. You and I are made in the mundane. You and I are made in the mundane. The unseen shapes the seen. The hidden invites from us the emergence of something else. The teacher knows that publicly teaching a lesson so that the hearers comprehend it is rewarding. The soldier knows that publicly exhibiting courage on the battlefield is commendable. The athlete knows that publicly running a race well is exhilarating. But how you teach, how you fight, and how you run publicly is determined by what happened privately in the mundane days. Lessons and battles and races are not won or lost in the moment. Lessons, battles, and races are won or lost in the mundane. The farmer knows this better than anyone. You know, the crop is not made at the harvest time. The crop is made in the mundane that leads up to the harvest time. What kind of a crop and how how abundant that crop is, is not made at the harvest. It's made in the mundane leading up to the harvest. It is the grower's hard work breaking up the lonely ground, planting and nurturing the unseen seed. Day in, day out, small seedlings nurturing them. The crop is grown in the mundane. And the success of that harvest is determined in that unseen, that unglamorous, day in, day out, tending. Church, it is in the quiet. It's in the hidden. It's in the mundane that persons are formed and that the future is fashioned. The mundane of your life matters. And what you do with it matters. What happens in the quiet of your kitchen? What happens in the routine of your morning? What happens in the darkness of your bedroom? 
What happens on the obscurity of the Internet? What happens in your regular conversations with your wife? What happens in your habitual responses to your children? What happens in your chosen patterns of media consumption? It all matters. Because the mundane is preparing a harvest. And church, what's being grown? What will be your harvest? Author Paul David Tripp said, If God doesn't rule your mundane, then He doesn't rule you. Because that's where you live. Dramatic, life-altering moments come only a few times during our lifetimes. That's why they're so dramatic. The rest of our lives are lived in the common, ordinary, mundane. And the farmer knows that it's the mundane. It's in the mundane that the crop is grown. Church, it's in the mundane that you are formed. And it's in the mundane that disciples are made. Does Christ rule over your mundane? The day-in, day-out, largely hidden patterns and routines of your life. What is the mundane in your life growing? Church, what will be your harvest? Teacher and soldier, athlete and grower, you're a disciple maker. Church, you are a disciple maker. It's not just what you and I are called to do. It's who we are called to be. It's not just incidental. This is about our identity. It's not just what happens in the magnificent. It's a question of what's happening, church, in the mundane. So how will we train for this? What will you do to make disciples? To whom and how will you go from here and faithfully pass the baton of the gospel so that the next generation, so that your family, so that your workplace, so that this community, so that the ends of the earth might know of Jesus Christ. Church, pass the baton. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are not up to this task of passing the baton, of making disciples. We confess our weakness. We confess our inability. And so we thank you for your grace and for the table that we're about to come to. This is the table of grace. The table where we meet you and where we gather with one another. A table where we come together and where we receive. And what we've received, Father, make us faithful to turn around and give to others. The grace that we learn about and that we accept as our own, may we be faithful to pass that to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, and to this world. What you've so freely blessed us with, may we now bless others, and may the baton be passed. May your glory be seen, now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.